It's Happy Hour again from Uptown New Orleans. Hello, I'm Grant Morris. Happy Hour is part of the family of shows on the podcast network. It's NewOrleans.com. When you walk into a bar in New Orleans and you pull up a bar stool, you never know who's going to be sitting on either side of you. What you do know is no matter what they look like, what they're wearing, whether they just got out of a limousine or just got out of jail, they're going to be happy to talk to you because that's New Orleans and this is Happy Hour, a cocktail-fueled 60 minutes of random conversation with folks who have nothing in common other than we're all New Orleans in a bar. Today we're at the fabulous... Wayfair on Ferret Street, where they have a three-hour happy hour here every day from 3 to 6 p.m. with half-priced drinks and half-priced food. You can't beat that. It's half of the full price, which itself is pretty cheap here at Wayfair. It's on Ferret Street right near Napoleon where you can come and hang out. Also, they have an awesome brunch on the weekends. So we're sitting around the bar here today uh, with, with a few people who you might or might not know. Rebecca Reboucher, is that how you pronounce it? Ah, bravo. Ah, really? Yeah, bravo. That's young. Italian, bravo. But Reboucher is French, I believe, is it? Oui. Where, are you? Do you speak French? Uh, no. Je ah. parle un petit peu. Do you guys speak French? Jack Mealy is here. I do not. No? I, I Jerry Reese, my way for that. My Jerry Reese from, the second. My grades from high school would tell you I spoke it, but not well. You did? <laughs> really? I so you did. spoke it enough to get to pass? Enough to pass. Absolutely, yeah. We right. passed. Yeah. And what school was this at? So actually, I'm really glad we're on Ferret Street. So Lusher Charter School. You went to I went Lusher. To, uh, right. School before Katrina and then Loyola for college. Right. So I, I love Ferret Street. And you earned a degree in journalism, it says, in my extensive research. That here. is, is that correct? correct. And you've never used it or you are using Never it? used it. What a waste of a great degree. <laughs> I know, right? In journalism. I sell hot dogs, actually. You sell hot dogs for yeah. a living. Yeah, I sell hot dogs for Dat Dog and sell hot dog buildings, actually, since we just started franchising. So, uh, well, yeah, but hopefully one day my dad played in the NFL, so I would love to do some, some sports reporting one day for sure. Is, that, is your dad playing in the NFL good enough to get you in to be a sports reporter and a degree from Loyola, of course? Is. Hopefully. Hopefully. We'll see if what he still's he, got some pull. What, uh, sure. what position did he play? Safety. Safety. What's that? Do you guys know anything about football, Jack? It's actually a running joke that I know absolutely nothing about football. It's not, it's not that funny. No, it's pretty serious <laughs> it's, it's situation. Pretty, well, that's what I'm saying. It's sort of sad and tragic, but I, I know nothing about football. Nothing at all? Nothing at all. You heard of the Saints? Yes. Did you have to be involved with the whole Saints mania here in I, 2000, I, whatever I actually it was? did. I actually wrote some songs for the Saints. And, uh, what? So it, uh, so it was, so what, that, did you, what did you write? Uh, I wrote a... Um, Who uh, that? No, I wrote a song called March On that... Uh, um, okay, you're going to have to play it. You have a guitar in your hand. What's so funny is that I don't even remember how to play it. I wrote it three or four <laughs> years ago. I even I, I won a telly for it and everything, but I, I don't. Me and a guy named Joe Cook and Shane Terrio wrote it, and it was so funny because, like I said, I knew absolutely nothing about sports, and they picked me to write the sports song. You how know, did so. they? How they pick you? From um, your... it just uh, it was actually really came through a guy named Joe Cook who was affiliated with Fox, and um, and he's the one who brought it to us, and he he was a sort of. Um, he's a producer, but he's an aspiring musician, and he, he sort of had the germ of the idea, and me and Shane sort of finished it. How do you get a job producing songs for the Saints if you're just an aspiring whatever? Well, because when you're the producer at Fox, you Oh, can, he was a producer at... Oh. Right. So and, he, and, and what's his name owns Fox? What is his name? Uh, Tom his name? Benson. Tom Benson. Yeah. Thank you, right. Jerry. Yes, exactly. Oh, yeah. So that, right. sounds, that sounded pretty sports reportery, didn't it? Oh, yeah. The way you say Tom Benson. Tom that, was, that was a good delivery. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Say it again. 
Tom Benson, baby. <laughs> Pretty good. Okay, so Tom Benson owns Fox, so the guy's a producer at Fox, and he says, hey, Tom, I could write a song about the Saints. It's probably something, and it's something free, like that. probably, if you're already working there, right? So no, we, we did all right, and I think, he did, I think he did too. I mean, it was this budget for everything. You know, I don't, I'm, I'm past the days of free, <laughs> you know. Did you get good royalties from the Saints song? What was it called again? It was called March On. I have uh, to write that down. Mark, uh, Mark Broussard uh, was, the, uh, was the singer on it, and uh, we sort of put the whole thing together. We had a brass band, and everything was great. Funnily enough, it is March right now, but you don't have an, any idea how it went. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to hypnotize you I know, so, and make so, you go. Sort of, but I'm not good enough to sing it. <laughs> oh, really? You so, couldn't even play a bit of it? You don't, want, of? you don't want me to play a bit of it. That's do we or not? Rebecca, do you want to hear a bit of it? No, it's a Saints song. Are you <laughs> a football fan, Rebecca? It's up to him. Yeah. yeah. I could talk him into it, though. Yeah. Like, no. <laughs> I think so. Are you a football fan, Rebecca? Uh, I'm a Saints fan. That, well, that's the same thing. Yeah, it's kind of... Have you given up watching it? Now, nobody even wears their Saints outfit anymore. Have you noticed that? Oh. I used to go to the supermarket on a Sunday morning and everybody would be in their Absolutely. Saints clothes. And now nobody at all. <laughs> Every <laughs> restaurant in town, yeah. all the waiters and waitresses, they're wearing their Saints right. jerseys. You know, it's the day to be out of uniform. What is that right. called? What is that called? Fairweather fans? Is that what that's called? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I think if you lose for long enough, people just give up caring. Well, but yeah. New Orleanians will love, but we didn't blow a 28-3 lead in the Super Bowl. I just got to throw that out there. Like those Atlanta Falcons. We, oh, the we Atlanta Falcons. Oh, that's yeah. right. <laughs> if we're going to talk was, about the Saints, we got to shit on the Falcons too, It right? was 28-3. 28-2-3. And wow. I got on a plane. I was in Los Angeles coming back. And I landed to watch the Falcons win. You know, I thought they would win. There's no way somebody blows a 25-point lead in the Super Bowl. And I landed. And the pilot announced it over the loudspeaker, and everybody in New Orleans was just like, God <laughs> damn it. It was great. So was you missed the Lady time. Gaga halftime? I thing? did miss oh, Lady that was Gaga. Awesome. Did you yeah. see that, you guys? I, uh, I, I missed it too. I didn't. You didn't see Lady Gaga at halftime? Well, you have to Google that, I'm sure. It's on. Yeah. That's worth seeing. Yeah. Real. No, I, she's a great performer. She's brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I love her too. She's great. Yeah. <clears throat> she is great. That was, a, that was an awesome performance. I can't believe nobody. You, you didn't. No one at the table saw Lady Gaga at except me, and I'm the, I'm the last person you'd expect actually. Come to well, think of it, what were you doing on the Super Bowl day, Rebecca? That you were too busy to watch. I'm trying to remember. It was right a now. Sunday. Uh, yeah. And it was nighttime. Usually, it's on a Sunday. Yeah, and it was night. I remember that much. It was well. nighttime. What do you do on a Sunday night typically? There's no typical. I'm something different every time. Every Sunday. Yeah. You've never done much. the same thing twice. Well, not that I've never done it. Do you have eggs on toast or anything? Like that? No, <laughs> probably not. Not usually. No, but I don't have TV, so I remember that I was maybe gonna try to go somewhere and watch it, and then I think I just did something else instead. Yeah, if you don't have a TV, you really don't get around to going somewhere else to watch it, unless you really. You know, yeah. go to a sports bar or something like that. But Unless no. you're like making a point to go to a party. Or yeah. yeah. And who really wants to do that? Well, what if you... it's not the Saints. Then... Right. Well, what do you do most nights then? All kinds of things. Like what? Meet friends for a drink, go out to dinner. Right. Watch you don't a work... documentary. You don't work at night? I work at night sometimes. You do? Yeah. If I'm on a deadline, then I don't like to work at night because I'm a painter, so... Right. It's nice to paint in natural light. Oh, I guess it is. Yeah. Good point. So you have to. So have daylight to savings is good for you then. I love this time of year. Yeah, because you can yeah. stay up till like you can work till nine or something. I yeah, guess. at least till seven thirty. Yeah. Right. But uh, when do you start drinking? Well, after that. After you don't start in the middle of the day. No. Even though you can. 
Well, I could. You work for yourself. Well, like, yeah, I can do whatever I want. Right. But, but you don't. That's you've got a lot of self-restraint. Cecilia, you're an artist who makes original paintings and prints for sale on your own website. Yes. Which is groovy. And you also paint commissions that you call family tree paintings. What does yes. that mean? So it's a four-foot by six-foot painting done on commission for a family. Four feet by six feet. Anyone know what that looks like? you got the sense of that. That's big. It's like as tall as See a person. See that Wayfair sign? Tall as a person. It's six feet tall. Six feet tall. And four feet four wide. Four feet wide. Yeah. yeah. So, it's so you're six feet, Jerry? Yeah. Okay, so it's as big as you. About the head on my arms out. That's four feet. Oh, that's big. It's a little wider, Okay, yeah. that's pretty big. And essentially that's the end. subject matter is a tree, and there's objects and things in the tree and a composition that all act as metaphors for the human experience. So It's like the tree of life. Sort of like the tree of life, but it's specific for a family. So I fly to a family any, anywhere they are in the world, and I meet with them, hang out with them, get to know their stories, and then I go back to my studio and I make a sketch that uh, captures their stories, traditions, values, all of that in a in meta visual metaphor. So it's a tree with with things in the tree, like a partridge in a pear tree type. Totally, yeah. Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And what sort of things would be in a tree? I mean, oh, like all sorts of things. Uh, family heirloom type things, or faces, or. It's not really faces. There's no portraiture. So it's things that represent things. So okay. um, let's say they spent a lot of time in Asia. I might include a bird that's only found in Asia. Or um, if they like rock climbing, well, then I figure out where they like rock climbing and what particular type of flower grows along those rocky cliffs where they like to climb, and I would include that flower. So wow. I have a question for you. So yeah. I've traveled a lot domestically, but internationally, what is your favorite place that you have gone to do one of those? Well, I had a, fa uh, I don't know. I mostly, I mean, it's mostly domestic as well. Mm -hmm. um, I did have a family in Scotland once, but I like, I'm a big fan of France and Italy just in general, but I haven't gotten families there yet, so still, there's still you hope. You need to speak French better than me. I do. <laughs> and do and Italian. Get, and Italian. Yeah. Probably Italiano. Well, maybe some people speak English in those places. That would help. How much are we talking about? What does it cost us to get this painting done? Um, Plus your airfare. I know, I, well, I'd rather not say. On the oh, air. really? Yeah. Hmm, should we take a stab at it? Do you, do, do you actually have to go to the location to, uh, to do the research, or do you just research it on your own? I mostly just do the research through the family visit. I see. Yeah, and then I do research online gotcha. if it's beyond that. Uh, yeah. I didn't yeah. know if it required you to actually go to a All foreign right, a places, foreign, right. Yeah. I have to go to Belgium for the weekend to, to like research. You I know. wish. <laughs> One <Yeah>. day <laughs> we'll How, get to that level. Do people find out about you from just online? They just stumble on. Yeah, mostly you, online. Do you, do you market it? And word of mouth. Um, it's it's mostly a natural kind of marketing where people right. share what they love and, and then people see that and it's kind of contagious in that way. You could do one for Jack's family and put his tally award in there because I, <laughs> I don't know what that is. What is a tally award that you uh, want? A tally award is like, it's for TV excellence. It's like, it's not, um, it's not for a TV show like an Emmy. It's for promos, advertising, things like that. It's almost okay. like an Addy Award, but it's, it's for TV excellence. It's... Whereas an Addy Award is, there's just like the Emmys or the Grammys or whatever, there's like, there's nominations and nominees and then there's one winner. Whereas at Telly, 
a bunch of people can win okay. every year. And so that's and who gives that out? The the, the Telly Society. If you I think it's Tally. I think it's tellyaward.com or Telly Telly Savalas, remember? <laughs> right. <laughs> so you've but you've actually won a Grammy I have. and an Emmy. Yes. And being nominated for an Academy Award as well. Well, I haven't been nominated for Academy Award. I was on, oh, a, t- I was on, a, right I was on a team that was nominated for Academy well, Award. That's the same thing. Well, uh, sort of. No Isn't I in team, baby. No Is I in team. <laughs> right. You know? Right. There I you go. So if it. you're on the team that was nominated for an Academy Award, aren't you part of the team that would have won? Yeah, I guess so. so. But, I, but I, I didn't go to the Oscars, if that's what you're asking me. No, I wasn't going to ask you that. So, it, where were they? Oh, that was in Hollywood. Right. I mean, and, but, uh, but like for the Grammys. What was the movie? The movie was uh, The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I was... Uh, uh, nice. I did a um, I did a bunch of the ADR, uh, which is ADR is like the dialogue that gets dubbed in after the fact. Uh, and the so- the whole sound department got nominated for an Oscar. What did you do for that? You were you were doing sound recording. Sound recording. Oh. I was in, I was an engineer. I basically uh, for uh, for parts of the movie where the dialogue might not be up to snuff, they have to get the actors to come in and to talk and sing or whatever happens in the movie, and then they fly that in to the movie on top of it. So that's what you were doing, recording actors mm-hmm. doing other lines. Yeah. And I, is, it, is, it, is the director there for that? Yeah, Direct, I, I got to work with David Fincher on it. Hey, that's cool. That's yeah. amazing. So you, yeah, so who was, who was there? Every, all these, it was, was David Bra- Fincher. Bra- it was uh, uh, Mark Weingarten, who was the, uh, the, 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 he was like the head of sound design. Uh, a guy named Aaron Zeller, who was also on the team. Uh, I met some really great people, but there was like there was like an entourage. I mean, you know, but but oh, it, I thought you would have been one of these guys that go up, you know, when they say all these names. <laughs> Aaron Zeller, Hans, Hans, actually, Hans, Hans, Hans. actually, Aaron did get called out at the Oscars, but I didn't. Uh, oh, you know, I mean, I I didn't do nearly as much work as he did. I mean, that guy worked for months on it. I worked for a couple of weeks. You know, okay. So, um, but he, uh, but to work with David was amazing. It was like it was just me and him at the console, elbow to elbow, you know, with the guy, with everybody behind us working on the stuff. So it was great. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, he's, cool one, he's he's my one of my top ten like favorite directors of all time. Yeah, he you is good. Talented and modest. That's meeting people at a bar in New Orleans. Man. I love That's it. right. I love well, it. everybody. Well, people love would, it. people would be shocked to find out all the things that Jack. Look at all the things here just written down here that he's done. Worked on all kinds of TV shows, including... Shall I just read some of them? Oh, I see ESPN. Is that my end to sports <laughs> journalism right there? Have you worked for ESPN? Man. I have. I, we, did, um, we did a bunch of... Um, it was me and uh, Shane Terrio from uh, Hall & Oates, the guitar player, and Tom Drummond from Better Than Ezra. We did a bunch of cues. Cues are like like music cues for the station. They, they basically call us up and say, we need 15 cues that sound like this. And we get in the studio and we, we write them and we record them and mix them and crank them out and sell them to ESPN and they use them wherever they want. So that's basically, we get, I get a bunch of accounts like that. Interesting. That's a pretty cool yeah, gig, that's isn't awesome. it? That's awesome. I know, you never know who you're talking to in New Orleans, right? I know, I'm telling I love you. it. You never know who's going to be sitting next to you. I think it's time for another year. drink. And I think <laughs> time to, I, well, Graham can hook too. us up if you'd like, or Nathan Absolutely. can get you a drink, whatever you'd like. Hello. Yeah. Hello. This is Jerry, our producer, nice Graham DuPonte. Thank you. We just make so many friends here in New Orleans. Yeah. It's amazing. So, but but Jack, as famous as he is, I bet most people in New Orleans know you for the your star role in the Molly Ringwalds uh, that, as the guitar player. I do uh, I do play with the Mollys for 17 years now. I know. So, what, are you, so you guys all wear different things every mm-hmm. show, so it's hard to tell who's who. But you're the guy dressed as the guy from Devo. That's and, correct. Right. <laughs> so your name is Randy Wild. That's correct. From the band. That's what I. We we try not to take it too seriously. I mean, we no we kidding. basically right. <laughs> we we uh we have a good time. It's been something that we've been doing since I was 23 years old or something. And, but the funny uh, thing is, the band is really good. 
No, the band that's, is great. That's Every, the funny part about it. Everybody in that band, and look, here's the, the modesty, really, for my other guys, but uh, everybody in that band is a serious player. Like, there's no, there's no joking around when it comes to the musical end of it. Like, everybody is, like, a serious, studied player who really takes it seriously as far as, like, their musicianship. And who cares who gets the credit if you're going to win anyways, right? Right. I mean, it's not about I need to toot my own horn and, you know. The the thing is is that what's great about that band is that not only is it a great set of musicians, but we're... We're performers too. I mean, there's, there's, it's a what lot you, of. What are you doing that for? Just for fun or for the money? Oh, or? Hell no, for the money. I mean, I, we, we we started it. I mean, well, we started it as like an idea, and it. What, what ended up happening? I'll give you the quick, the very quick version. The quick version. Well, we have was plenty that, of time actually. If the long version's better. <laughs> well, I, I don't want to ostracize anybody else from the conversation. We can the, just interrupt you. The. Uh, <laughs> There was an original band that was involved, and what happened was that the original idea was to do the cover band to... We noticed that the cover bands were making all the money, so we wanted our original band to succeed, and what, is a, what does a band need to succeed? It needs money, you know? Right. So we said, let's start a cover band and finance the original band with the cover band. So we took all of... We basically took... There was an imaginary... Back, back then, we only had four members in the band. So it was an imaginary fifth member of the band, and that member got put straight into the original band advertising press shots we had the best of everything so we were making some some decent money and then the original band folded up and we didn't they you know some of the guys left and we got some new members in but the cover band had already sold out house of blues numerous times and like we had this big following like we're not just going to fold this this shit in are we like (laughs) so we so we kept going and and it got bigger than we ever could have imagined and so you know at at this age uh, i'm 40 now at this age uh, when you're traveling all over the country every week, it's definitely harder. We all have families. We all, you know, so, but, you know, you know, if you're the CEO of Walmart, you know, you don't just fold it up because you right. don't feel like doing it. I still love playing with those guys and still love playing, doing, uh, doing the part. I just feel like, you know, it would have been awesome to be able to go to Germany when I was 30, not when I was, you know, right. 39. So you know, you're, touring, right. you're touring all over the world with this mm-hmm. band, even though it's kind of a joke, actually. It's it's not a joke. It really is. Oh, I'll take that back. Okay. No, no, no. Rebecca, I mean, that's not funny. No, no, no. Like, <laughs> when I say, see, all right, all right, so now I'm going to back up. There's there's the... It's so meta. It's a joke that's not a joke. Well, right. Okay. It's like, it, it's sort of like, um, we, we don't treat it as a joke. We're very serious about it. But at the same time, we, we don't want to take it so seriously that we're like, that we get offended by it. You know, we understand that we look, you know, we were dressed up in costumes and we're dressed up and, you know, we're, we're playing a part. But at the same time, it would be like if you were in Blue Man Group, would that be considered a joke? You know, so well, that, what are they? No, I think that's pretty serious about what they're doing. Well, they are, but they, but they, <laughs> well, they are, I'm sure, but they, they're taking themselves very seriously. But they, but you don't appear to be taking yourself seriously at all. You appear to be sending up the rock and roll you're playing. Aha, uh-huh, that's the trick, though, right? Yeah, I mean, that's why you have to be like super good to be a clown. It's the balance between the two, though. You don't want to take yourselves too seriously, but at the same time, you want people to know we give a shit about this. Right. And and anybody who's seen our show knows we give a shit. So, well, it's good. I guess what I'm trying to say is that when I say don't take ourselves too seriously, I mean, like, we don't take ourselves too seriously as in we understand the tongue in cheek aspect of it, but it is a serious organization. It's a serious business. Right. And uh, to some of the members of the band, it's their entire income. Uh, and oh, so people can make a living. A yes. living? We, we make a very wow. good living. Wow. A okay. very good living. You can totally afford one of these family tree paintings then. I, <laughs> Even so, though we don't know how much it costs. You know, the band, the, the band. I mean, let's put it like this. The band has got 
Um, we have an accountant, we have an agent, we have an attorney, we have a seven or eight person road crew, we have semi trucks, we have, you Are know. Are you serious? Yeah. It's, you it's, have a real operation. It's, 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 oh my goodness, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, oh yeah. We I thought a, you guys got together here and there no, like once no, no. in a while and played. We, we play over 100 shows a year. And, Shit, uh, are you kidding? And You're playing uh, twice a week. Would you like a glass of wine, by the way? Uh, what sure. is that? The Malbec. That'd be great. You're uh, playing two shows a week, at least. At least. Every in the New Orleans area, no, or are we, you, you're all over the place. That's what I thought. You, I hardly ever see you here, but now I know you're, well, that, well, that's you're what, touring the whole time. Well, that's what happened is that I we, no crazy, we, we got we got big here. We really got big in Baton Rouge first. Really? That's the that is the you first, know you've really made it if you're. Well, that's the first Baton crowd of the Baton Rouge. Well, that's the crowd. Call that, Baton Rouge. That's where the good taste is. We're big in Baton Rouge. That was the first crowd to really quote unquote get it right, you know right. and it became like the party band thing but then it sort of transcended that where yes we were the party band I got drunk and were acting a fool but then it became like more Vegas where yeah. it became big screens multimedia you know we have like a lighting person a separate lighting person a separate cameraman separate video person separate we have a whole bunch of people on a payroll that are all dependent on us you know, succeeding. Every, yeah. Right. No so, business no like idea. show business, man. Yeah. So who's, the, who's your manager? Uh, it's um, a Scanny management group, which is, um, we were uh, represented by um, APA out of Nashville, and then we switched agencies a couple of years ago um, to uh, Scanny management group, AMS management group. Uh, I think they're I think they're out of New Orleans or uh, Covington, maybe, but they're, that's where their home base is. But they, you so know. you could conceivably dump everything else you're doing in your life. And I just did do for them. a long time. I actually uh, only started engineering and producing because because I, I only had to be available on the weekends, really. I mean, and uh, at the time, and also I wanted to record my own music, right. and so I started guinea pigging my my skills to other people so that they could so I could get good at it. And then I started getting right. so good at it that it the phone kept ringing over and over. And then I became infinitely busy. Is what happened now. I've owned four studios in the last 15 years. You know. Are you talented in other things? You might just be one of these guys who can do anything. Are you like a genius? Did you do, <laughs> did you do well in school as well? Uh, I did okay in school. I'm uh, I'm I'm good with art. Like I mean, I'm I'm probably not as as good as you Rebecca, are. Rebecca, it's, Rebecca yeah. is really good. You know. Just I mean, different disciplines. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Different mediums. How did you get to be so good at what you're doing, Rebecca? Because your stuff is very whimsical, and I say there's no human beings in your paintings at all. No, just things that represent human beings. But that's the trick. That's what it's all about. Like, I'm a naturalist as a painter, but I care much more about humans than I do about birds or other things. But all your paintings are birds and other things. That's right. So they're. Why would that be? They are giving you the human experience better than a human can. Wow. Because as soon as you put a human in, it's one person. So you say, that's not me. But if it's, if it's a bird in a certain position or a tree with a certain proudness, then you say, I feel like that sometimes. I think when a, when a human looks at another human, the judgments come out. It's unfortunate, but it's true. And so when you have right. those, you can those read my mind. other, you know, I'm looking birds at you right or, now. Or, or, there yeah. you go. <laughs> We're locked in right here. Uh, you know, it, it opens people up to interpretation and it lets their mind run a little bit further than they would looking at another human, Absolutely. which I think is great. Well, do, you think, do you think that people think things when they look at your paintings? Well, they feel things. I think they feel things, yeah. I think that they feel things that they don't even know how to say, and that's 
what has made them successful, which isn't even something I did on purpose. It just sort yeah, of right. happened, yeah. Well, you're not painting stuff that so people will like it, or are you? No, I'm, I'm painting motivated by a personal experience. So, but it just so happens that most, most experiences are universal, right? So if I've had heartbreak, other people have had heartbreak, they see whatever I've painted and think, oh, this That's explains what, Is that what motivates I've, you as a painter mostly, heartbreak? There's, there's a good bit of heartba- heartbreak in there, but there's also a good bit of joy too, you know? Just actually impermanence motivates me a lot. Yeah, yeah, like no, no emotion is final, right? So absolutely, that's yeah. a good way of putting it. No emotion is final. I'm going to write that down too. <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, that's a that's a hard lesson. That's a hard lesson to learn, actually. Yes, that might be one of the hardest lessons in life to learn that what you're going through now is going to disappear eventually. It's going to change, no matter how good it is right. or how bad. I don't think it's hard it to learn because I think people know that. I think people don't accept it because they want to sometimes control their own destiny and whether you're faithful or. Or whatever you know it is that makes you believe what you believe. Uh, yeah. You know, sometimes it's not—it's just not left up to you. But don't you, you think? Know? Yeah. But most of the time, when you have a feeling that something's gone really wrong, you think it's never going to go right again, don't you think? Agree. Just feels like this but, is just hopeless. But does it eventually? No, but it, of course it always. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Always no emotion does. is final. Right. But I think it's really hard when you're having a bad time, isn't it, to know. 100%. To believe that. Well, it's kind of like being submerged in dirty water, right? Like, if you're, even you if you're that. only a little shallow and you open your eyes, there, you can't see out. But if you just stand up, then you'd be, in the, you'd be in the clear air and you could see. So, and the deeper you go, the harder it is to imagine how far it is to, to be able to see. That's so. a funny thing to think about, though. I've you never thought about that. write that down, too. Write that down. What should I write down? Submerged in dirty water? <laughs> just, never, just stand up, maybe. I would never have thought of that image in my life. Would you have thought of that? <laughs> That's a good image, actually. Sure. I, I mean, I try to, I try to, uh, to subscribe to the this too shall pass you yeah. know, right. Right. mentality. Um, because, I mean, it's, you stand up, but you're still covered in a bunch of filmy shit. <laughs> yeah. How can you even imagine yourself submerged in dirty water? You can't breathe. Well, that's another sensation, that's, right? I mean, that's all a metaphor. It's like sometimes you feel like you can't breathe or you well, feel you like do. you can't see. But right I would now. never have thought of that. I guess that's a more of a visual Right, I so like. I thought of myself submerged in filthy You live water. in New Orleans and you don't think about dirty water? Come on, man. Not submerged in it, no. Would you have thought really? of that? Yeah, if things are really bad. Eyes. If you would describe how bad something was, we're in this bowl. It's, like we're you we're know? supposed to be underwater right now. Yeah, we we're supposed to be. Right? We're amphibious. If it wasn't for great? the levees, <laughs> if it wasn't for the levees, would we all be underwater right now? Uh, oh man, I got nobody so knows. The I grew up on 1836 Fillmore Avenue, so that is about a block and a half from the London Avenue Canal Breach. You can see the memorial from the lot that used to be my house. And the way I feel about the levees, um, I know a lot of people have their opinions about Come you on, know, throw where it they. I don't know what happened. I think that is very strategic. They uh, made you've got sure. some sort of conspiracy theory? I don't know. I, I find it very, very interesting that certain areas were great and certain areas were not. Well, isn't that explained by topography? Yes, absolutely. Well, then that would be the end of that. I don't think that's the end of it at all. Really? I, I think there are a lot. You think lot. somebody f- intentionally flooded New Orleans East, the Ninth Ward, 
I think it's more reasonable to think that that is a possibility when you think of the economic impact of certain other areas of the city going underwater and realizing, okay, for the greater good of everyone in this area, what are the areas that need to survive? And then making a decision from that. But back when the levees were built, back when the levees were built, wasn't New Orleans East was a high-end area. That was that was back in the when I was a kid, you know, back in the the late '70s, early '80s. That was a high-end neighborhood. That was an expensive neighborhood. One hundred percent. You know, so it's not so. I guess to you know to sort of I don't want to call it debunk, but to no. like to debunk that theory. Why would they take a high-end neighborhood and put a shitty levy in it? You know, so that's sort of my you know that's my theory on that. But I, I do believe that they knew that that over years and years and years of time with, with the land erosion, that there's probably no way that it could survive, but we had never been put in that position before. So instead of doing something preventative, all you can do is wait till something happens. Mm. That's, that's what I think. Well, you have to kind of imagine when the levees were put in place in the first place, right? Right. Was because if six, they hadn't 60s, 70s? Been, and even, I think even before that, there were certain land management things going on that weren't necessarily the levees we have now. But if none of that had been done, the, the water would naturally settle in its, in its own way in certain areas, which would allow, would not allow areas to be developed that were developed and became people's homes. And, and that's why it gets so emotional, right? But, like, nature's not emotional about it. So right. if, if it hadn't been, if nature itself hadn't been controlled by us to begin with, right. it wouldn't have had to, it wouldn't have busted through what we created well, the very yeah. thought that a concrete wall can hold back nature is insane. <laughs> Absolutely. Which is what we're putting our faith in. Which is what we're, we're doing. All of cement. us sitting here yeah. right now right. know that. And well, which goes anyways, back to you know? thinking that you don't know if you, thinking an emotion will last, right? Right. It's the same. Nah, it's the same delusion. It's the same delusion yeah. that what we build will last as Mother well. Nature and Father Time, baby. Isn't, you mm-hmm. can't beat either of them. Isn't exactly. there some theory? That, isn't there a theory that... that, uh, that Egypt actually became uh, a desolate place because the Nile stopped overflowing its banks. Like I believe I've read yeah. something saying that the Nile. Social used to, studies. Every every year the Nile would Wasn't overflow it? its banks, Sixth and, grade. and Why what happened is. Right. <laughs> Why is geography and like you know where things placed in the world called social studies? That's my question I to don't all know. of you. Why is it? Why is that? Well, I think Good social question. studies social refers studies is to this table right here. people yeah. in the world, right? Not right. just geography. Right. Geography is right. just like geography where is geography, are. right? Yeah. But why, why in school, you know, when you're taught social studies from a young age, you're taught it's about geography. It's about where people right. are. There, there is history. I had I had to learn geography in I can't remember if it was social studies or Western civilization, but it was a it was an entire. Uh, semester or entire quarter that they call geography. Okay, our last quarter is going to be nothing but geography, and we and we they broke it down into that little sector. But I, I've I've never learned about geography in social studies. No. Here's what I want to know: Why don't they present geography as our first courses in travel? They don't do that. They present it like it's this. We just have to learn the capitals this of the globe, world. and right. there's capitals. Right. Yeah. right. Uh, but. If they presented it to students now as like these are the places you will one day care about seeing when you're an adult. Well, you could just have the virtual reality goggles and you wouldn't even have to worry about any of that. That's well, where it's going. Yeah, no doubt. eventually, but nothing will replace like feeling the ocean in Costa Rica or something. You know? Yeah. Do you yeah. like to go to Costa Rica? I like Costa Rica, yeah. Oh. I went for the first time. 
last year. Yeah. Yeah. Who did you go with? One of these heartbreak type people. <laughs> One of these guys that broke your heart. I went with a friend. How many guys have broken your heart over the last few years that you've painted all these paintings? Oh, I don't know. I, I guess a, a handful. A handful of guys. Yeah. How many could you give me? Five. Five, that's what I was thinking. You know, five. Five fingers. Okay. You know, I could be wrong, though. Well, it depends. Do you keep choosing the wrong guy? Is mm, that what it is? No, 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 no. It's, it's about, well, okay, part of it is, is actual uh, life happening, right? Like you, you fall in love and you spend time with someone and then it doesn't work out and you right. resist that and, and that's just life. But, but the other part of it is just being a poet, right? Like you could, you could fall in love with a guy at the bar that you never even met and then he could break your heart when his girlfriend walks in and you've had this whole fantasy in your mind that you create it's, yeah. it's only lasted like half of a drink you know and then but the, the disappointment that you might feel when that fantasy is crushed is for a moment equal to any other kind of disappointment that you might feel so seeing some guy at a bar and imagining that you're going to marry him and live happily ever after and then finding out that his girlfriend walks in and he wasn't even available or his wife walks in that is, could equal, be, is equal to having an actual relationship with someone who really with her. breaks it's, your heart? It's, it's really? Equal, okay, you guys might be made for each other. It's all relevant with time. Yes. Because it's not going to hurt as long as right. the person you dated for five years. Right. But in that moment, it's the same feeling. And it 100%. All, and it all is relative to your hopes and dreams, right? Right. So if you allow yourself to hope and you allow yourself to imagine and dream something, and you, we're, we're such architects. Like, we can imagine things that don't exist very vividly. And this is all over the course of this much drink? <laughs> I was just going to say we. It could be this much drink, but that's, that's what I mean about the poetry of it. Like, that's what being an artist is, right, is giving yourself over to those moments. How often do you have these kind of experiences? Well, as often as I invite them, I suppose. So you could walk into a bar, like today, like right now, for example. Would this happen to you typically when you walk into a bar? You Only see some, are you attracted to lots of different guys? I would say that I perceive energy pretty vividly. Yeah. So. How do you perceive it? What does it look like? It feels like. It would, it, yeah, it feels like either someone is adding to the human record or they're not, you know? But how can you see that? How can you feel that from across a bar? Oh, it's in every little detail. Really? Just, yeah, sometimes it's someone's hands or their knuckles or the hat they're wearing or the... The, the way they're, I mean, it's, it's like being Sherlock, right? It's like you might notice that a certain pant leg is rolled up and maybe that means they rode their bicycle here. Or it could be what you order, how you absolutely. interact with the bartender. It could be anything. But everything know? tells you something about somebody if you're paying attention. Yeah. Agreed. The fact that you wore this striped shirt or you right. have your hair done a certain way or you chose that color lipstick or whatever it is, if I knew what it meant, I guess it means something. But if I start to pay attention to all that stuff, doesn't that drive you crazy? Well, yeah, you can't pay attention. You have you're you are a filter, though. You, focus you on just what trust you want your to own focus filter. On too. Yeah. You don't focus most on Most of everything. us, most of us don't notice anything. <laughs> well, don't that's why most of us aren't artists, and right. some people are. Do you notice that kind of stuff, Jerry? Absolutely. Um, I notice the way I'm people the carry way. themselves. Yeah. Yeah. The way people carry themselves, uh, the way they treat other people. Uh, you know, I was taught. I'd treat the CEO and the garbage man with the same amount of respect. And that is probably the most attractive thing to me in anyone. You can't tell that from sitting across the bar from someone. You can. You can. You because can. somebody's got to pick up your plate. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, somebody's going to clean up where you're sitting. So are you the person that makes a mess and walks away and doesn't tip? Are you the type of person that stacks the place for the waitress and makes sure that they get 20% at minimum? That tells me a lot about a person. <laughs> a lot. All right. That, I would say that's me. Right. <laughs> the guy relate. that stacks the plates. Exactly. Yeah. Same yeah. here. Same um, here. But, I, you know, I'm, I'm always somebody who's willing to help. I want to help, you know, and that's, that's my thing. And, and I'm, you know, I'm good at reading people, too, but I, I'm, I'm somebody who I deal with a lot of different um, personalities. A lot of some people are completely unknown. Some people are very famous. And I've had to deal with different dynamics, and I treat everybody the same. And that's that's one of the things that uh, that's interesting about about what I do is because there are some people who are straight up like this. I, I watched you when I was a kid in this movie, and I, like you know, like and and they get the same. My wife calls it producer mode. When I go into producer mode, it's it, everybody's the same. You know. Do you find that people who are super famous like to be treated the same as everybody else? I find that they respect you more. Absolutely. They absolutely respect you more, and in some ways, they almost fear you because. They, they're not used to being treated like that. Right. They're caught off guard. Absolutely. Yeah. Why, do, you meet, do you meet famous people as well, Jerry? I do. Jerry? How well, do my dad played in the NFL. Right. Okay. What team did he play for? Uh, Denver Broncos and Kansas City Chiefs. What was uh, his name? Jerry Reese. I'm the second. Uh, and my great aunt's Leah Chase, so when it comes to food. But I used to work at Essence Music Festival. So mm-hmm. uh, Usher. Kanye West, you, you so name you've it. met Kanye. Yes. Okay, so now you're going to have to tell us about that. Oh, man, you're going to put me on the spot on Who that. Who doesn't want to know about Kanye? All right, so the, the issue that I have with Kanye, uh, one of the most talented human beings on the face of the planet, but we were just talking about respect and how you treat people. Um, there was a lighting issue at the Supernome for Essence Music Festival. He did not like the lighting that his team had sent over, and he wanted to change it the day up. And we said, that's impossible. We cannot do that. This is a stadium of 65,000 people. To reprogram what you want will take us a week. And he did not like that. And, uh, you know, he, he's the most talented individual I've probably ever met in my life. I will say that in, in music. Can you, can you uh, elaborate on that? Um, out, of, out of sheer curiosity, seriously. It's... To see the way his gears turn when he hears something or someone speaks to him and the way it will spark an idea immediately and he will go in the studio or on his tour bus or whatever for two to three hours and come out with a beat or the way his lights are supposed to look and he couldn't explain it. I don't think, and this is what I respect about Kanye, I respect his creativity. I think Kanye can't communicate. Personally, I think his genius when it comes to art is unparalleled. But I think where he puts his foot in it sometimes is how he tries to communicate communicate that with some people and how he is better than everyone else. You know, just kind of this show. Entitlement. Absolutely. Absolutely. But if you You are better than everyone else, which is what you're saying, then what's wrong with that? It's, you know, it's it's like some things I'm seeing in the news right now with... uh, you know, the guy that plays at UCLA, Lonzo Ball. And his dad, LeVar, said that he would beat Michael Jordan in his prime. And I'm sorry I'm bringing this back to sports, but that's my, my thing. And, uh, you know, it's like, dude, you just stop talking, man. The way you're, you're trying to communicate and show off to people. It's like, just do it, you know. Zip it and do it. Let the words speak for itself. Right. Let the words, the actions, the work speak for itself. 
you know, you talking about your paintings. It may not be something that certain people don't understand. That's fine. Your work speaks for itself. Let that person interpret it. Do you yeah. Same do you with like your talking music. About your work, Rebecca. You know. Or do you find it all? I don't mind talking about my work. Uh, I formed the early years of my career. I spent doing uh, art markets in town and art mm-hmm. festivals around the country. I got one on Magazine Street if you're interested. Which is very. Um, <laughs> all right, that dog. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they have an art market there. We have an what? art market, Saturday. absolutely. Every and Saturday, is it? Saturday and Sunday, yeah. and we do, uh, we know the, the folks over on Frenchman Street as well. Have you so. outgrown that now? You're, you're working for anthropology and so on. They're, that's right. So, so that's a bit easier. But that's how I sort of cut my teeth, which involves standing in your booth and telling a lot of people about your work. So, so that must have been pretty interesting for someone who's so sensitive to other people's energy. Yeah. It's is that good for sales, or does it just make you exhausted? It's both. It's really exhausting, um, but it's it's also it's like the, the best thing there is is like to relate to people, right? Right. Yeah. Is it? Yeah, I think that that's the that's best a tra- thing there is is to relate to people. In that, in the context of what we're talking about, it's that's what the work is about, right? Yeah. Like, Can you sell a piece, a painting or something to someone as, who didn't want to buy it? I yeah. mean, who's just looking at it and go, oh, it looks nice, but I don't know. Yeah, I can mean, that's you where you, I mean, in the markets, that's where you cut your teeth in that you as well. You can actually yeah, sell you, it. Yeah, What's you, the trick? What am I, what are you looking for? Well. I do this all the time. Do you guys do this? You look at something and you, you want to buy it, but somehow you just, yeah, you don't I'm buy it. I mean, at, you can at, do at that my, too. At my okay. very, you know, base level, if you want to bowl me down to a couple of words, yes, I, I sell well, stuff I love for you, a living. I love you both to explain that to us. Jack, you know this, how, what is the trick here? Of sales? Yeah. How do you actually get someone... How would you talk, say, Jack and I, into... I would say that the, the secret is... Because, I mean, in, in a lot of ways, I'm a salesman, too. I have to sell myself, and I have to sell... The, the trick is to believe in whatever you're selling okay. and so that you... so Because they can... People, people's bullshit meter is extremely oh. sensitive. So you have to believe in yourself and what you're selling and that it's the real shit. And that they're really missing out if they don't get it. And you don't even have to say that because they'll see your passion and whatever it is you're selling and your excitement is going to sell them because they're going to feel like they're missing out on something. Like this excitement that he had, that, that, that this person has for their work or whatever, I want to own a piece of that. And that means that their heart's in it. It's real DNA in, inside of it. You know? That's the secret. That's, and are that's you, only part of it. Are you genuine? What's the rest or? Okay. Or are you not? You know, I mean. Well, that's what you're saying. That's what Jack's saying. Too. Well, well, yeah. Well, no, I'm, I'm hopefully, believing in what you're selling is a given, and that's something that I'm lucky in the sense of because I believe in but the work of, I but make. But a lot of people don't because they're self-conscious about their own work. Yes. Well, that's true. Too. Or there are people who have to, who sell stuff that they that don't. That they don't in, like, right? And they might still be good at it, and and that is the other side of the spectrum, I think, which is, um, it's all about the buyer, right? So people inherently are selfish. Uh, not selfish, self-centered. And I think self-centered is a good thing. We, you know, someone who's considering a purchase, they are considering it for themselves. So they're asking, is this me? Is this going to make my life better? So your job in selling it to them is to point out the ways it would make their life better. And I think that's true for all of us at this table with is radio, with me? music, with, you know, my business, with art. It's, it's the if, same thing. What value do I bring to the table to make sure that that person's life is going to be enhanced whenever that transaction is over? Because it's something that they are going to have. Once we part ways, they're still going to have it. What if you feel like your product wouldn't make that person better? I wouldn't sell it. 
like, well, no, no, I'm saying, all right, for instance, and I'll use myself as an, as an example, but there, I've gotten very, uh, very big phone calls of people wanting me to do their record, and I actually turned it down because I was like, I'm not the right guy for this. You don't, you know, I know what you're looking for, and I'm not, like, it'd be like if somebody wanted you to paint a Jackson Pollock trip painting. That might not be your thing, and you might... Absolutely. I think that's the difference of maybe service as opposed to sales. Okay. Maybe. But that comes back to that very question you were asking, which is, is this me? Right. That's what you're saying, Jack. Pretty much. This is not me. This record is great, and I would love to do it, and it's tons of money. It would be a good thing on my resume, but it's not me. But I would be doing you a disservice to lie to you and say that I'm the best person to come to. But in that sense, you're almost the buyer in the sense that the, the person who's selling it to you is the, is the one with the idea who's trying to get you on their record, right? So you almost trade roles. That's and you're true. asking yourself, is this me? And They're and trying to sell you. Yeah, yeah, they're selling you. They're saying, come on, you know. Well, right. And, uh, That's a good position to be in, though, yeah. isn't it? When you're not pitching yourself, but they're pitching you. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I pitch myself sometimes, but for the most part, and I'm, I have a weakness of not saying no, you know, but, but sometimes I do. And in, in that situation, I would. You know, so yeah. So who are we talking about? Who famous came to you and said, "I want you to produce my record"? I didn't say famous. I said big. Ah, okay, big. I I I am not going to say. (laughs) Meatloaf. How big are we talking about? Restraint. Come on, I'm sure we can guess. It wasn't Kanye, right? No, it wasn't. What do do you feel passionate about selling hot dogs? Really? You know, this is what I feel passionate about when it comes to selling hot dogs. Uh, I started working at Dad Dog uh, when I was at. Loyola in college, and um, you know, I, it wasn't something that I seeked out. I was like, like you mentioned, a journalism major, political science minor. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to do sports journalism or go to Washington D.C. and cover Capitol Hill. But um, I found a brand that I love to eat at, and that's why I even started getting a job there. Well, my grandpa was an army medic, and he spent a lot of time in Germany. So when I was growing up, we ate a lot of hot dogs and a lot of sausage, and so I got a job there and. Um, what were you doing, actually? It was a tiny. Was, it was when it was a little tiny. No, this was when, when they was moved the, across the, the street. gas station. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I was scrubbing floors, grilling dogs. <laughs> I was doing, you know, day-to-day combat. Right. Uh, and about six months into that, they asked me to come into the corporate office and do sales because of my family history with Miss Leah and because of my personality. And then we started to franchise, and they asked me to be the director of their, their franchise company. You know, so you went from me. scrubbing floors and putting hot dogs on the grill to being the in management, and now you're the vice president of franchise. That's correct, yeah. Well, that's a pretty yeah. old-fashioned American story, isn't it? You yeah. don't hear oh, that yeah. very often. And, uh, you know, just started with uh, the International (laughs) Franchise Association. So they're headquartered in Washington, D.C. International Franchise uh, Association. Yes. And I met the president and CEO in Las Vegas and told them, you know, straight up in a a room. We were at a conference and I was about one of 10 black people in a room of 2,000. I said, dude, you don't have enough black people in here. Hmm. And he's like, well, how do I get the black people? And I was like, I will help you, you know. And sometimes it's not the message, it's the messenger. So I'll be spending some time in D.C. over the next couple months to educate African Americans and other minorities about franchising and what they can do with their wealth. So I just saw an opportunity. I got my foot in the door. And uh, it's not exactly what I wanted to do from day one. But I love the brand, and well, I couldn't yeah, imagine myself point, doing though. right that's now. That's a good point. They've you taken know? yourself off the track that you wanted to be on. Right. I did. And the way I feel about it is if I'm good at it and I'm, I'm confident in myself, I will be able to do that. 
right. I will be able to leverage the relationships that I have and the experience that I have right. to try something new. Um, and franchising will help us get to different markets quicker. So even if it's not in New Orleans, I, I don't want to move away. But let's say, you know, I, I want to go to Washington, D.C. and finally follow my political science thing. Right. You know, I'll be able to uh, call You don't really want to be in politics now, though, do you? I don't You must have know, changed your mind man. about that. Sure. Now's know. the time to Are be in politics. There? Do you think this is the That's opportunity now's the time to, to make be some in change? Yeah. Why, now Could that it's you? a reality show? <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah, it's... it's you know, this is the time that we, this is the time we need people. You know? Right, and that's you know that was my biggest not hang up, but when they said they wanted to get on the phone a couple of weeks ago and and uh, talk about a White House strategy. How do we get in the White House and and and, how do we and get, get our White message House? across? And I'm like, how do I get in the White House and and have ears open? You know, what, and what have people you, actually What message listen. are you trying to deliver into the White House? Um, about the franchising industry, it's not just about restaurants. Uh, it's more about being in business uh, for yourself, but not by yourself, uh, which is what that dog, you know, as the franchisor group, like you open a restaurant in, in Baton Rouge, hey man, that's your restaurant, but I'm here to help you. I'm here to support you. And there are certain people, you know, that are lucky, like myself, after Hurricane Katrina, went to Atlanta, great schooling, you know, great college. Some people don't have that, and they have money that they inherit or whatever, and they don't spend it wisely. Um, and that is not just me speaking about people. I have people in my, my dad's one of eight, and my mom's one of four. So I'm talking about my family experience as well, and educating people to know there are things that you can do with your money that you may not know about. I didn't know what franchising was until they said, do you want to start franchising with that? I had no idea. That's a funny uh, year. So, did they... Who was that? Constantine or someone? That, yes, Constantine he and Bill, our president. Yeah, yeah. He saw a personality and a. We're, we're also selling a New Orleans brand, and uh, I'm born and raised and grew up in the restaurant industry. And so when I think about, okay, I may not have seeked this opportunity out with school, but I look at what my personality is, what my family history is, and kind of what I grew up. I grew up when I was 13. I did a gumbo competition against Leah Chase, and I won. Uh-oh. And really? You make a better gumbo than Leah Chase, you better be careful. Don't tell Leah that. Yeah. But if I walk into her kitchen with you tomorrow, the first thing she'll say is, I love that boy, but that jackass beat me when he was 13. <laughs> and she hates it. You know? And so... That was like a gumbo taste-off, like a blind test. People yeah, said that it was for gumbo. a kid's show called Fetch with Rough Ruffman on PBS. Fetch with Rough Ruffman. I, you guys know that one? I was not on make it some up. kid's show when I was a kid, too. What were yeah. you on? I was on some, uh, God, I don't even remember so long ago now. Rough some Ruffman. Rough, fetch with Rough I'm Ruffman. writing that down. I'm Googling that right now. I kid you not. I'll I show you. What were you doing? It was some show where we would meet and talk about current events, but it was all... In New Orleans? Yeah. yeah. At a bar at Wayfair during happy hour? <laughs> Pop on TV? Pop on pals? <laughs> it was on TV, like Cox 10 or something. Oh, I don't remember. Yes. Yeah, it was like, you know, kind of like oh, public like, broadcasting like in a way. Like a Saturday... Yeah, like a Saturday, Saturday morning, morning show. I, I remember <laughs> going to that show. I remember giving we a talk to those kids. And yes, we would. You know, they would say, "What do you think about this?" And and well, you know, like ten-year-olds going. I remember know. going to that thing. Yeah, at Cox something rather and yeah, recording yeah. that thing. That was unbelievable because I did it thinking nobody would see. We're talking about being, being on radio and what's it like to be on radio and talking <laughs> to these little kids. I thought nobody watched that thing. 
But apparently there's a tons of people with hangovers on Saturday morning really? who are lying around their house I watching I think you're this. contributing to that right now. <laughs> watching that. Well, you know, it's so there's free will. You're allowed to not yeah, drink that and rest of that beer oh, if you don't weird. want to. But what I am going to make uh, happen next, though, is make Jack play a song for us. Oh, yes. You've sure. had that guitar sitting there. Got we're to. dying to hear what you're going to play. What are you? Um, what have you been working on? Because you have a much more serious band. Um, well, yeah, I do, but that's actually not what I'm going to play. What I, are you going to play? I do. Um, I'm going to play a little quick two-minute something or other that uh, I um, I do a lot of music for TV and stuff like that, and um, I just wrote this uh, this little two-minute bluegrass type tune for uh, a show that Ellen DeGeneres um, owns. It's a uh, it's a show called Little Funny. It's about a um, it's about like an 11-year-old comic that tours the country and, uh, and does stand-up, you know. So it's sort of like a reality show for that. But So I basically um, just sort of threw this together. So cool. this is it. So excuse me if I fumble on some of the words. As you can see, I'm not very organized. With it. Highways turned about, we'd ride and Sorry, I already screwed it up. Here we go. Let's try again. Highways turned to broadways, long and winding, bright and free. Never seen a sight like them at all. But it's a little funny that I never saw that writing on the wall. And now I'm on my way to a city that won't bring me down, but sure don't feel like back in my hometown. And yes, I'm on my own. With the sound of laughter all around, I try to keep my feet here on the ground. So we sing, oh, oh, spotlight shining bright at me, silhouettes are staring back. Not sure what I'll get from them at all. But it's a little funny, those same people make this big world seem so small. Yes, I'm on my way To a city that won't bring me down But sure don't feel like back in my hometown Yes, I'm on my own With the sound of laughter all around Try to keep my feet here on the ground So we sing I've seen those great big oceans And those mountains in the sky So remember to keep the things you love Near you and don't forget the reasons why Ooh, 50 miles still left to go The sunset's in the west I got the ones I love most on my mind But it's a little funny that By going for it, I leave them all behind and we sing out, and we sing out, we all sing out. Thank you. I could have yeah. used that when I moved to Atlanta after Hurricane Katrina when I was yeah. 13 and I had my mind on New Orleans. That would have been perfect. That was amazing. Thank yeah. you. Great. Thank you. I, uh, I actually pull a lot from, I spend a lot of time in a tour bus, <laughs> you know, so. Um, so you get homesick. Right. I, yeah. I, get, I get homesick every week. And uh, every week I look out the window and watch the, watch the scenery go by and think of those kind of things. Wow. So. And what's that song called? It's called Little Funny. Little Funny. Mm-hmm. And what's the show's called Little Funny? Mm-hmm. And I, well, it's a it's a it's a pitch song. We uh, 
I actually work out of, with a um, uh, with a corporation out of LA that that gets me a lot of TV work, and they they said that we think you're perfect for this. Send us three or four different songs for this show, and I, so that was one of them. And I sent two or three others, and uh, so still waiting to hear on you know back on that. But it's, right. it, they, he loved it, and he's like, I think this is going to be it. So all right. So, so, and, if he, and if he doesn't, I'll just release it on my own. That's yeah. awesome, man. That's cool. I love so, it. And can you, can you get that anywhere? It's not recorded anywhere. Not yet. recorded anywhere. All right. No, Exclusively I just, here, I, just, right? I, just, yeah. I just wrote it. Uh, you heard it here first, I, baby. I just finished the lyrics it. last night. Last night? So, oh, yeah. wow. Because so, I, I sort of had the idea for the first and second verse, and then I didn't have a bridge or anything. So I was like, I was like let me finish this right now. And so I just finished it last night, and that's why I needed the lyrics. All right. So, well, well, you got three thumbs up around the table here. Oh, thank you. Like yeah. Thank you. Rebecca Definitely. was dancing. Yeah. Do you, <laughs> like, do you play music it. while you paint? No. I, no you I like wish. it quiet? I mean, I... Oh, no. I don't play music. But do no, I... No, I don't mean play. No, I mean listen to, to I'm yes. sorry. Yeah. yeah. yeah you yeah, do? Absolutely. Most of the time, yeah. No, my dogs just bark. There's no, there's <laughs> no music. I, I, I love music, but my dog... Uh, yeah. Maybe they're trying to sing. <laughs> Try to communicate okay. with me. We have to sure. get the hell out of here. Ah. Ooh. Right. We're good. We've got one minute. How long have we got, Thomas? We're good for a minute? Okay. What have I forgotten? Did it, was I supposed to cover anything, Jerry? No, I think I Where's, think the, ne- where's the next debt dog opening up? Do we know that? Uh, knock on wood, very close to New Orleans is as far as I'm going to go with that. Ah. Until it's signed, okay. sealed, delivered, okay, and then I'll come back it. on and tell you. So if I want to open a debt dog franchise myself and I'm listening to this somewhere around the country, what is it going to cost me to get in? Uh, if you go to datdog.com slash franchise, it'll tell you. Our oh, investment okay. is about... Uh, you know, it's about four hundred seventy thousand uh, dollars. It's about but the same as the tree painting. <laughs> if you <laughs> if you go to our website and uh, check out my information and get in touch with me, I will let you know how much money you will make. And so, you if I can get a hold of four hundred seventy thousand uh-huh. dollars, I can have my own dat dog franchise. Or your own tree painting. On, on the or my own tree painting. <laughs> Which would I prefer? That's right. Hmm. Well, the tree painting just sits on my wall and appreciates a dat dog. I have to make hot dogs every freaking day. You can pay people to make hot dogs for oh, okay. you, though. I've already and just spent 470000 And see, once, once, you, once you pay that four hundred and seventy k, you can look at the painting every day for free. <laughs> oh, <that's true. laughs> Whereas the dad dog, yeah. you got to go there every day. Yeah, i got to make hot dogs. That's what worries me. I'm working every day. If you go to How much dog, money can I make out of a hot dog oh, stand? Oh, we, can, we can talk off air a little bit. You, 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 you push them great, secret, and I love it. I respect the move. I respect it <laughs> so much. I'm just wondering how much I'm... Can I be a millionaire? I mean, if I make... How long is it going to take me to make? How long is it going to take me to make the four hundred and seventy thousand? We're going to talk after the show. We're going to talk after the show. Don't you think I should be able to? Be you should find have looked me up a little bit better for those <laughs> answers. Uh, yeah. Okay, I thought that would be like sort of. Um, <laughs> I thought that'd be public information. Oh yeah, that. that I bet dog, if I asked a subway guy, he would tell me. That dog. I'm not subway, baby. Datdog.com slash franchise. You'll all get right. all the information that you dog. need. Datdog.com slash franchise, and we're going to find you. You're it, right? You're the franchise. Yes, You're I the am. whole department. Yes, so I am. So if I call I'd love, to, love to meet you. Come, come get a dog. Come do a show at Datdog. Yeah, that's more of an On idea. The patio. That, that's something we could actually achieve. Let's do some draft beer. You know, I'll bring out a sampler okay. for everybody, and we'll have a great we same can have crew, some different crew. You know? Not a bad idea at all. Oh, Absolutely. Let's think? do it. Okay. Idea. All right. I'm in. All right. We'll get the same gang. We'll go back. We'll go to that dog next. Maybe we'll write a song on. about hot dogs. We can do Maybe. it on the balcony. You could. Yeah. <laughs> balcony on Frenchman Street. You guys let me know. And do you we'll think we could get another date. 60 minutes of conversation out of this group of people? Uh, I think. We'll, we just we got plenty to talk about, Jack. We're already over. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What, what do we start off the next conversation with? What didn't we talk about about you that we need to know about next? Um, well, look at all these things you've done or doing. It's crazy. I, uh, look how many there are. I'll give you my recipe for, uh, for fried spinach when I, when I come back. Fried spinach? Okay, we've got that one to look forward to. Rebecca, what can we talk about to you next time we come back? I guess we didn't talk about anthropology, really. We didn't talk about anthropology yeah, at all. That's everybody's favorite thing. Not anthropology, the not the study, study of, of school, people. but the anth um, anthropology the store. company. Yes, that is a fascinating subject about how you got into that, I would imagine. It is, yeah. Are you wealthy out of that? Seeing we have um, I wouldn't call the word wealthy, but uh, you can make a good living out of it. Blessed, very blessed. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So every Enriched. time they sell one of your plate, you have plates with your designs on it and shower curtains. Yeah, they stuff. take my artwork and put it on dishes, bedding, wallpaper, curtains, wow. rugs. So people puzzles. can go to sleep on sheets with your that's right. design on. Yeah. Where, where can we see your art again? It, well, my website, RebeccaRebuchet.com, and then anthropology stores awesome. around the world. We have links to all this stuff on our website. It's NewOrleans.com. If you listen to this, and excellent. And you're at the gym or you're on the way home. Check it out. It's at itsneworleans.com. Hey, you guys, we're out of here. Thank you very right. much. That was Rebecca Ribouche, spelled R-E-B-O-U-C-H-E acute. Is that right? Accent aigu. Oh, that's how you say that. Accent aigu. Wow, I can't even say that. That would be too embarrassing. Say it again. Accent aigu. Accent to you. That's accent to you. Rebecca Ribouche, thank you. Yes. Accent Jack Neely, thank you for joining us Thank you for having me. And And, of course, the fabulous... Karim Jabbar, Karim Abdul-Jabbar, we walk the line. <laughs> Jerry Reese II. Jerry. Let's here. do it again, guys. I love it. Okay, we'll see you back at, 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 at Dog next time. Thanks for it's a date, us. baby. Let's do hey, it. Hey, thanks for joining us. Our show is brought to us today by Basic Swim and Gym. We can get a full range of fashion, swimsuits, workout, yoga clothes with style, including bikinis, one-piece cover-ups, and more. Basic Swim and Gym is on Magazine Street next to Basics underneath the lingerie store. Thanks to the Hangover Destroyer, the only all-natural product medically proven to prevent a hangover. Go to hddestroyer.com and write happy hour. Check it out. Write happy hour on the coupon code. Get 30% off of your first order of, order of Hangover Destroyer. And you too can seize the dawn. Thanks to Graham DuPonte, our producer, Christian Onru, our music director, Jean Valois, our music producer, and Thomas Walsh, our technical director, our live feed directors who are putting this on Facebook Live where you can go watch the video of this if you'd like. Our Asher Griffith and Grayson Jernigan, our theme music was written by and is being played by Mitch Foreman. If you'd like to be on our show, drop us a line. Our address is on our website. It's neworleans.com where you can find tons of other shows, including many hours of happy hour to listen to as well as Out to Lunch with Peter Raschuti, True to the Game with Chris True, and tons of other shows we make here at INO Broadcasting. You can also find other great Louisiana podcasts at itsacadiana.com and it's batonrouge.la. You can keep up with us on Facebook and Twitter and a bunch of other time-sucking social media as well. On all of it, we're called It's New Orleans. You can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on our Facebook page. Those photos are taken today by Alison Moon. Happy birthday, Alison. It's Alison's birthday tomorrow. If you're listening to this on, our, uh, on your podcast app, thanks for subscribing to us. Take one moment, if you've got it, to rate and review us. That helps other people find us. Our show is recorded live today at Wayfair on Ferret Street in Uptown New Orleans. We can come here for a three-hour happy hour every day and brunch on the weekends. Happy Hour is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. Andrew Duhon is out today. He's on the road. He's making a record, actually, if you're looking for him. Check out andrewduhon.com. For everyone around the table here at Wayfair and back at our office at INO Broadcasting, thanks for joining us. I'm Grant Morris. We'll see you back here next week on Happy Hour. Almost made it.